0: This is man, what an incredible church! And I, what is this album and worship? This music just unreal, it's like from a different planet, man. It's like Planet Awesome or something like that. It's just like uh, what a great joy it is to be with you guys. You guys are just really amazing people and an amazing church. I love you guys. Your pastor, I tell you, what's happened here the last four years doesn't happen. I mean, what's taking place in this church is just. It's beyond what normally happens at church. Let's just put it that way. It just does not go in this direction usually. So you guys don't get to wait for a miracle. You're in a miracle. Amen. You are in it every single day. And uh, so uh, I tell you, this is everyone's so happy and smiling and joyful. And uh, I tell you, this church, you either want to build something or burn something down. But you want to do something, right? And uh, that's the way it should be. And uh, well, I mean, let me build something, actually. But uh, it's such a privilege. I tell you hold on to what's going on. Don't get used to what God's doing here. Don't just, don't treat it as ordinary because what's happening here, and I've been around for 23 years pastoring, you don't see this happen like the way God's moving here. This is something very, very special, and just be a part of it for a long, long time. Just stay the course, stay here, because you can always say that you are a part of it from the very, very beginning, and you got a chance to experience a miracle from the ground up all the way to what God has. Amen. So let's give the Lord praise tonight. Thank you so much, and uh, no, I'm not Benny Perez, and uh, I wish I was, but I'm going to do my best tonight. Amen. And uh, turn your Bible to Acts chapter 10 and verse 37. Acts chapter 10 and verse 37. I tell you, uh, tonight, I, I that worship is the most unique, beautiful, incredible sound. and. I tell you it's something I've never heard before. I've been all over the world. I preach at great places and uh from Joel Olstein to Hillsong Church, all that, but amazing stuff, some of the best stuff. But there's a uniqueness out of the sound that is so special and so new and just incredible and alive. And you can't really you can't really label it. It's just, it's just wonderful. It's just something that comes out of the expression of what God's doing here. So it's a, part, it's a blessing to be a part of this and, and uh, see it skyrocket to number one. That's where it should be. Right? Amen. A lot of good work's been put into it. And uh, praise God. Acts chapter 10, verse 37. The title of my message here tonight is the ministry of doing good. I want to preach on the ministry of doing good. Acts chapter 10 and verse 37. You know what has happened throughout Judea beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. I love this how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Father, bless this word. May it be used to encourage all that are here today, and may I pray people walk out of here, and they would become alive in that well, Lord, of mission tonight. For what you have for them, in Jesus' name, amen. Don't you love the scripture, the Bible says, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth who went about doing good. Wouldn't it be great if people really didn't know much about us as believers or they couldn't define us or lump us into a category and put us into a, a certain box. But they just looked at us and said, those amazing people from higher vision, they're just like Jesus. They're just going around doing good. That's what I love about the life of Jesus. Nobody could claim him. Nobody could try to identify him. Political parties couldn't seize him. They just looked at his life and it was all said and done. They said, how do we describe this man named Jesus? And finally, they just said, he's a man who goes around doing good. You see, Jesus lived his life looking for miracles everywhere that he went. He was looking up trees while people were celebrating his triumphal entry into the city And they're waving palm branches. But what was Jesus doing? He was looking up trees at a man named Zacchaeus. And he said, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house and I want to have dinner with you. Jesus, in the middle of the biggest moments of his life, he was looking for ways to go around and do good. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 6, the Bible said Jesus entered the home of Simon the leper. Now, that's a verse that we read over really, really quick in the Bible. But the truth is, that's one of the most powerful verses that that you could ever read because here's Jesus. He's coming to the end of his life. He's getting ready to die on the cross. He's getting ready to sacrifice everything. And what's Jesus doing? He's knocking on the door in the most monumental moments of his life. And he's saying to a man who has leprosy, Can I come into your house and can I have dinner with you? When I was 20 years of age, when I came to L.A. to pastor my church, I came to L.A. because my father, back in 1994, was given a building in in the middle of Echo Park in Temple Street, right down in that area, and he was given a building to plant a church. And uh, that's back in the days when they were doing church plan, and uh, he had a big church in Phoenix of 10,000 people, and so he said, well, I'll take a look at this, and so he drove downtown, and I was 20 years of age in the house, been raised in a mega church of the first 7,000-seat building that was ever built um, in years and years ago, and I was raised in the pews of a church, you know, and, and so my dad said, son, come to L.A., sit in the back seat with me in the car and listen to invite all these pastors and see if somebody would be the pastor of the church in Los Angeles. And so my dad marketed. He said, man, we're going to build a church in downtown L.A. on Sunset Boulevard. And they were thinking Sunset Strip, you know, or something really cool. And they didn't realize that at that time that was one of the biggest gang ravaged communities. And so these pastors were in the van, and they pulled around, and they looked at our building, and saw a bunch of gang members trying to break in the back door, and every single one of them said, I don't feel led of the Holy Spirit to come and pastor the church. And I was 20 years of age. Back then, I was so skinny that when I stuck out my tongue, I looked like a zipper. That's how skinny I was. And I was 20, but I looked like 12, like the kid from the Home Alone movie. And my dad got turned down from all 10 pastors, and they turned to me realizing that God called me into ministry at youth camp at 16. He would say, son, would you come and help me pastor this church in downtown LA for three months? I've been here for 23 years, and we're still looking for the real pastor of the church. You know, <laughs> maybe it's here to... No. We're still looking for it. And, uh, and I'll never forget the first week I got there, man. There have been an Oregon that have been sitting on the stage since the 1920s. I said, man, I need to make more room on my stage for dramas. And I decided to move it from one side of this stage into the other. And I lost half my church in the first week because I moved the sacred Oregon from one side of this stage into the other. Now, my church wasn't like this. This church is a miracle. This church went from like zero to thousands over in, in like four years. Our church went from 18 down to two in the first six months. I wrote the book on church reduction. I can tell you how to reduce your church in six months. I was preaching so many bad sermons, I wanted to retire in the middle of my own sermon, you know. And I, had, I had a 10-sermon greatest hits album from all the great preachers that come to my church, and what happened was I stopped getting those 10 sermons. I had to come up with my own stuff. It got really, really difficult. And uh, I'm 20, and one night I looked out at my church, and not one person showed up. I mean, I know, right? And not even one. And I tried everything. I had a free buffet after church, and nobody showed up. And and I looked out my little window, and I came from a mega church. And I had all this uh, plan. I had a five-year plan on my wall on how things ought to be. I said, this is what's going to happen year one. This is what's going to happen in year two. I told God exactly how I wanted the church to be built. I put it all on the wall for him. And we weren't living up to my timetables. And I looked out one night. And now one person showed up, and I'm looking, and finally one car pulls up in the lot, and I said, yes, God, someone's coming to church. And that person walked right by our church and went to the liquor store that was right next to the church. I couldn't get one. I was so discouraged, and I went home, and I cried. And I said, God, I'm the biggest failure in all the world. Maybe the anointing was on my grandfather and father, and maybe it skipped a generation with me. And I just cried for hours on my pillow. And that night, God spoke a word to me. Back in 1994, he said, 19, yeah, 1994, he said, I want you to stop your crying. I want you to get up, and I want you to go to Echo Park. Now, for God to tell you to go to Echo Park and to Skid Row and to do a seven-hour prayer walk until the sun went up was a pretty bold word. I mean, God's telling me to do prayer walks through Skid Row and Echo Park. So I took a seven-hour marathon prayer walk through the streets of L.A., and that night I saw young men up against police cars being arrested. I saw homeless people in dark alleys. I saw every hurting person in literally that seven-hour span that you can imagine. And then when I saw those young men up against police cars being arrested, God spoke a word to me. And I thought God was mad at me for being a big old baby. It was just going to finish me off in a shooting and get somebody else who really could do the job, you know. And I'm crying that night, and the Lord spoke a word. He said... I want you to die to your dream of being a success, and I want you to live to the dream of being a blessing. He said, I want you to go home. I want you to rip up your five-year plan, and I want you to fall in love with one scripture. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct thy path. Whatever I put in your hand, I want you to use it to make a difference in the lives of people. I don't want you. I want you to forget about the ministry of being a mega church three-generation pastor, son. And I want you to fall in love with the ministry of doing good. And I said, Well, God, I have nothing. He said, Whatever I put it in your hand, I want you to use it for my glory. I said, I have nothing. He said, You got a desk, you got a phone, and that's where your ministry starts. And so I'd move my desk on the sidewalk and the phone. And every day, all the mamas in the neighborhood, they would walk by and take their kids to school, and they'd be like, Hola, Weddell, ¿Cómo estás? Huero? Which means whitey in Spanish. And then they walk by and say, hola, whitey, which means little whitey in Spanish. And I'd be out there, and, and people would call my phone. I would answer the phone. I would say, hello, L.A. Dream Center, right on the sidewalk. May I help you? They say, yes, do you have a women's ministry in your church? I say, yes, we do. Hold on. And I changed my voice and made it sound like I was a woman. How many here know when God gives you a dream, you've got to act like you're there even though you're not there yet? And, uh and I had three bags of food sitting next to me. I had to pray about who to give it to. The food ministry started with three bags on the sidewalk. And then our first ministry was an old dirt lot where we got an old basketball hoop that was the kind that kind of you had to put sand and water in in order to keep it from falling down. And some of the gang members were playing basketball in there and had a little cheap weight pile from Kmart. That was the second ministry. And I realized that serving is not a destination. There's no spot to get to there's no building there's no place it's a journey it's a place of your heart where you simply say God I'm never going to worry again about the things I cannot control success is elusive it can get away with you from you things could happen economies can change but if you're a success in your heart and say God all I want to do is serve with whatever you put in my hand there's a way you could be happy 365 days a year if you live your life with palms up, you're only going to be happy in Christmas time and your birthday. But if you live your life with palms down, there's a way that you can be happy 365 days a year. And that is simply living your life with a head on a swivel, looking for a way to be a blessing, having the ministry of going around doing good in your work, and your job, or wherever it may be. And so the church began to uh, reach other people. We began to reach out, and God, and I, and I no longer preach at the Ulster. I no longer preach anymore worrying about who was going to show up. And if we had eight people, I'd preach those eight people in a revival. God's about to do something great to those eight people, you know. And uh, i get a couple drunks in the crowd. i roll a few in, and I'd be preaching. I'd be like, God's going to do something great. And I realized it wasn't my job to direct my path. But it was just my job to acknowledge him with whatever he gave me. And then, and then we began to run buses and pick people up to church. And uh, I had deacons in my church and ushers. And they were all from Skid Row and from the streets. And so I, I went up to these guys and said, I need you guys to be my ushers. They said, Pastor, we're not sober yet. I said, you got one week to get sober because I need ushers in my church. You know? And these guys were receiving the offering, you know, and they come on the bus. and that. But they got so happy that somebody would believe in them that they actually got sober because they believed that they could be useful in the kingdom of God and God began to bless them and, and then somebody gave us a house next to the church we started taking in drug addicts that got saved and gang members and then, uh, and then I, God spoke to my heart he said, why not you start a rehab program I said, God, I, don't, I, I can't relate and God said, I haven't called you to be relevant I've called you to be revolutionary just open a rehab program even though you don't know how to do it and so I took these guys in and uh, they were in the house and uh, they, they were staying with me, and they said, What's the program? I said, Pastor, I said, I don't know, just go to church and read your Bible. That's all I got right now. And then several homes in the neighborhood were being filled with lives that were being changed. And uh, 70% of my staff today are graduates of our drug and alcohol rehab program. 70%. I mean, I mean, we got ex-drug addicts, we got ex-murderers, and we got ex-pimps, and that's just a pastoral staff. That's not including everybody else in the church, you know. And, I mean, you know you got an outreach church when the ushers wear ankle bracelet monitors. You can relate. Then you know you got an outreach church. And this church like, reaches hurting people, too. You know you got an outreach church when uh, the preacher says, can I get a witness? Everybody in the crowd ducks because they're afraid that somebody will find them. You know you got an outreach church <laughs> with someone's selling illegal copies of your album across the street, unauthorized, made out of their own backyard or back, whatever. And, uh, and God began, God being to do some things, miracles, and people started coming in. and uh, I mean, some sermons I had to referee in the middle of my service, and I'd be like preaching on uh, moral purity, and I had to change my sermon and preach on faith. I mean, I had to, i preach eight or nine sermons based on what the crowd was doing in the middle of my sermon, you know, and, Sometimes I have to preach on moral purity, be doing some strange stuff back there in the middle of church, you know, and and then one day we outgrew that building, and not even thinking about how to do it, not even trying, not even worrying about success anymore. Just saying, God, I just whatever you put in my hand, let me use it for your glory. And 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 the pressure was off, the burden was off, the worry about where I would be. And I simply said, God, I'm going to give you the rest of my life, and whatever you give me, I just want to use it for your glory. And one day I'm driving down the Hollywood Freeway, I'm praying. I said, God, we need a brand new building for this for this outreach. Lord, give us a new building. And as I begin to pray. I looked, and I saw the biggest hospital I'd ever seen in my life on the Hollywood Freeway. 400,000 square feet in 1996 on the Hollywood Freeway. And I saw that building. I'm 22 years of age. I pull over to the side. I say, well, I'm praying. I see the building. And, and I pull over, and I, I walk the campus, and they were filming a movie on there. Because Paramount, I mean, Freddy Krueger was filmed there. Halloween was filmed there. I and mean, we got to pray all the demons out of that building. And we still are. And, uh. And I and I saw that building and when I pulled over to the side, it said for sale. And so I walked in, I saw Brad Pitt and George Clooney were filming a movie right there. They were filming on site, Brad Pitt and George Clooney. So I walked right up to Brad Pitt because I'm not intimidated by Brad Pitt, Detroit, Tampa, Florida, Sacramento, and Oregon, Arkansas. I'm intimidated by your pastor, but I'm not intimidated by actors, you know, and I walked right up to Brad Pitt, and I said, Brad Pitt, how you doing, man, and uh, he looked at me, and back then, TBN gave us free airtime when we started our church on Friday nights, because they felt bad for us, because we needed exposure, so they gave us free time, since then, they've charged, and so we can't do it, because, you know, we hustle back then, but sometimes you got to hustle for Jesus, and, and, uh, and so uh, Brad Pitt looked at me, and said, wait a second, he goes, I think I know who you are. He said, are you that guy every Friday night at 10 o'clock on the Christian Network? He said, I watch you. No, he didn't say that. I'm just messing with you on I'm sorry. No, that's not true. It's, It's just my imagination. No, he used my head as a cigarette tray. Anyways, uh, for a cigarette. And uh, and I walked in there. And I said, I want to buy this building. How much is it? And they were laughing. They were like, well, you know, how much money? Do uh, you have $16 million? Paramount's going to buy this for $16 million. They're going to turn into a movie set. I said, no, but I have a dream. They weren't impressed with my dream. They kicked me out of the building. Well, they didn't really kick me, but just told me that I, I couldn't make an offer. And so I was walking out, and I saw a security guard when nobody was looking. And I looked to my left, and I looked to my right. He wasn't looking. And I snuck in, and I gave myself a tour of the building anyway the lord has provided me an open door you know and and as i was walking through that building illegally because sometimes you just got to go gangster for jesus you know and i'm walking in there with a i'm with one eye on jesus and one eye on the security guard that was trying to arrest me that's why the bible says watch and pray i'm getting a dream and run from the cops and as I get to the 15th floor, God begins to speak to me. And I tell you, finally, for the first time in my life, I had fallen in love with ministry. I used to see ministry as a burden. some place I had to get to that, that the, this journey of God was about how successful I can be for his glory. And God said, forget about that. I just... What can I do in your life if I just give you whatever I get put in your hand? You begin to serve. What could happen? And 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 I looked at this building. I went to the top, and God spoke to me, and He said, "The pimps are working 24 hours a day. The adult film industry is preying on runaway kids 24 hours a day. The traffickers are working 24 hours a day. The the liquor stores are open all hours. If they can work 24 hours." God spoke to me, he said, I want you to build a church. I want to give you this building, and I want it to be open 24 hours where people can be rehabilitated, whose lives will be transformed, where gang members can be restored for the glory of God. Where instead of people getting 10-year prison sentence, they can be sentenced to the house of God. As 45 people last month alone were sentenced to the house of God instead of the prison sentence, the judge pounded the gavel and said, you're not going 10 years in prison, you're going to the house of God. And then they come into our program, it's so difficult, they want to go back to prison. No, I'm just teasing. That's another point. And the Catholic Church, making a long story short, heard our vision. They sold us that building for $3.9 million. And now today, there are over 700 residents that live in that building. Hundreds who are coming off drugs, alcohol, families that were homeless, who had nowhere to go. Human trafficking victims that are being brought in every single week. Runaway street kids and... And look, every calling is different for every community, but God put me there. And and what I thought to myself was when I came into that neighborhood, I thought that God would would do one work in my life, but sometimes your dream has got to die to find a dream in you that you never knew that you had, that only brokenness can reveal. The issue is not the dreams that we think we have, but the dreams that are deep inside our heart that only serving can reveal I didn't know that I had a love for homeless people. I didn't know I had a love for families. I didn't know. None of this was in my plan. But can I tell you, sometimes your dreams got to go to rock bottom. And God doesn't destroy dreams in rock bottom. He recreates dreams in rock bottom. Some of you tonight think you're in rock bottom. You think you're in the worst place in your life. Can I tell you something? Don't just survive in rock bottom. Dream from rock bottom. Because God looks down and says, you know what? I can get the glory with a dreamer from rock bottom. Because if we only do what we can do, we're going to give ourselves the glory. But if we do what we cannot do, we can give God the glory because the world will look at us and say, there's no way they can pull that off in the flesh. That has to be a miracle of God. And that happens by dreaming from rock bottom. God doesn't destroy people in rock bottom. He recreates people. And God's about to recreate marriages that are in rock bottom. He's about to recreate people that are in a place of addiction in rock bottom. He's about to recreate some things in your life. You thought your life was supposed to go one way, and now all you have left to give God is brokenness. And you give God, and you start saying, God, here I am. I just want to dream with whatever's left. I give it to you. What could happen if I gave you the broken pieces? And he turns around and he uses it for good. You start falling in love with the ministry of doing good, who went about doing good. The life of Jesus, looking for ways to be a blessing, looking for ways to be an encouragement, looking for ways to have the most powerful gift that people in the church hardly ever talk about. And I'm going to tell you about it. It's called the gift of inconvenience. I believe that the gift of inconvenience is one of the most powerful gifts that's hardly ever talked about. I don't even talk about it enough, you know, uh, that we need to talk about. Every year in November, it's awesome because in November, I take the whole month and hardly ever preach on the road. And what I do in November is I just try to take that whole month to dive into every aspect of my family's life and just, you know, really just try to step it up. I don't preach much on the road. And so my wife always tells me on Thanksgiving Day that I need to be out of the house on Thanksgiving Day because I get in the way of all the planning and the preparing. So my role is to get lost in the morning and then come back for the 2 o'clock afternoon um, dinner. So half the battle in life is knowing what your role is, and so I know what it is, and that is to get out. And so it was the day before Thanksgiving. I'm just walking by my apartment that, that was by the, Glen, the, Glen, in, in the Glendale area, and I'm just walking around. I'm praying. I'm saying, God, I'm just, I'm just seeking God. I'm saying, God, you know, um w- w- what do you want to do during this season of my life? I'm just you know, have you heard, like a talk, you're praying, but then you're kind of distracted, but you're praying. You, you, it's kind of half praying. I don't know. maybe it's I don't know what that means anyways, but uh, I'm walking around by the theater, and I'm just praying and then and then the, and then God spoke to me. You know, and as I looked at this th- movie theater, and, and he said, just go over there and take a look. I'm like, God, you never speak to me to, to like, through movies, really. I mean, I like them, but I, I, some people get revelations through them. I just go, you know. But So I walk there, and they're opening up this theater. And so at 10 o'clock in the morning, and I walk up, and God spoke to me. He said, I want you to, because that movie Frozen, I saw the poster for the movie Frozen. He said, I want you to take all of your children to go and see this movie. I'm like, wait a second, God. I promise you I only have two children. Who are these other children that you speak of, you know? And he goes, I want you to bring all of your many children to go see this movie. And I realized that God was speaking to me that he wanted me to bring all the homeless families and children who live at the Dream Center to go see Frozen. On, on Thanksgiving Day in the morning before I need to go back in the afternoon to enjoy the, the, the meal. And so I walk up to the guy. I said, sir, I'd like to have, first of all, I said I'd like to have three tickets because that's what I thought I was going to buy. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, and, and I came back five minutes later and said I'd like to change that order to like 130 tickets. And the guy looked at me and said, wait a second, you just went from three to 130 in five minutes. How did that happen? I said, well, I talk into a friend and sometimes he asked me to do very irrational things. And you." <laughs> You might not understand, but you could if you gave your life to Christ, you know. And, and so he's saying, and then I got mad at God. I said, God, you want me to take these kids to go see a movie? And I go, do you realize how expensive movies you guys know, you're in L.A. You, I preach this in Tulsa. They're like, no, I don't understand that, but L.A., you get it. You, do you understand how expensive movies are, God? And God said, that doesn't bother me. Go ahead and do it. Have you ever argued with God that you are a better steward of his resources than he is? That's irresponsible, God. And uh, and I said, okay, God, I'll buy it. I said, sir, 130 tickets. He said, would you like them in regular or would you like them in 3D? I said, regular, right, God? (laughs) We're good. Obedience discount, right, God? And uh, the Lord spoke to me. He said, would you take your children to go see it in 3D? I'm saying, yes, God, I would. But, but, God, 3D is not even as good as it used to be. Remember back in the old days in 3D when they had the red lens and the blue? And actually, and the paper glasses, and things actually flew at you. Like, you had to risk your life back then. But nowadays, because of the lawsuits, they just put a glaze over the screen, and they call it 3D, you know. And uh, and God said, would you take your kids? I said, yes, God, I would. He said, then take these kids, and I'm like $4 more ticket. And I'm just, I mean, can you imagine the price tag that God's asking me to do this? And so I buy the tickets. I call the dream star. I said, I want to meet you at the theater. Pastor Matthew's going to take all the kids to go see a movie. I can hear people scream, all these homeless families screaming, people happy. And then I get to the theater and I show up and I have the tickets in my hand, and these children who live at the Dream Center, a homeless family floor, come up to me and they just put their arms around me. They're, I'm right there at the tickets. And these are the children who live at the Dream Center. I'm like, Nacho Libre, I do it for the children. And, um, and they, they came up and they hug me, and the girl in the bottom left. That's what happens when you're overwhelmed by the Spirit of the Lord and you just. It's called taunting in the enemy, you know. And uh, and I walked in there and I was walking really fast because I know what the next question is gonna be. And you that's right, and you know what the next question is gonna be. Because kids are heathens everywhere that you go, from the 210 to the five to LA to Santa Clarita. they're all the same. And I knew what that question was gonna be. I got really close and I and I stepped over the line, and this kid yells out, Pastors, they're gonna be popcorn. And I said, God, is there going to be popcorn? And he said, you would let your, I ah, yes, God, I know. And I said, "I said yes, yes, there's going to be popcorn. I said it really quiet because I realized that it was still obedience because I spoke what God asked me to spoke. But if I spoke soft enough, you know, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't hear me. But that's not true. How many here have children and you know that if you can scream something you want your kids to do and they can't hear anything, I didn't hear you but you can whisper something they want, and those little kids hear perfect every single time. And one kid yells out, Pastor Matthew said we can have whatever you want. The kids are screaming. They're all lined up in two seconds. The line is like way back, and they're buying like lobster and nachos. At least it felt like it. These kids are buying all this food, and this little girl sat right next to me, and she and she, she said, Pastor, my name is Ava. How are you doing? I said, hey, Ava. And I go, where do you go to school? She goes, well, I live at the Dream Center, but I go to Rosemont Elementary down the street. And I said, good. She said, I've never been to a movie before. I said, no. And she said, yeah, I've never been to a movie. And she sat next to me. She said, what are these glasses for, for a movie? And I said, yeah, right, God. And uh, <laughs> what are these glasses for? And and I said, well, you watch the movie, it's clear, and then blurry, and then clear, and then blurry, and clear, and blurry, and clear, and blurry. And she said, oh, okay. And she's doing this the whole time for like the first few minutes during the opening like little movie. And I'm getting mad because I paid four extra dollars for those tickets. And I'm like, please keep them on. And then she kept doing that for the whole movie. Just please keep them on. Please, please. And how many here know when you buy those glasses, you don't want them to mess around. You want them to keep them on. And I'm getting so discouraged when suddenly the Lord begins to speak to me and says, let it go, let it go. So, so I just let it go, kind of. And she's, she said, pastor, she goes, I tell all the kids in my school, when I go home from school, they ask you, where do you live? And I say, I live in the biggest house in Los Angeles. And they say, where? And I point them to the hospital and she says, that's where I live. And she leaned up to me in the movie, put her arm around me and she just began to sing the whole movie when the movie was over her mother came up to me she said pastor the greatest miracle happened during this movie I said what happened I said did God put all the money back into my account she said no (laughs) she said the greatest miracle happened she said my daughter was born from the rape of our human trafficker since a teenage girl I was trafficked across America and my daughter was born from the rape of my trafficker, and she has seen men do the most evil things to me. She has heard horrible things that have happened. As I have been my daughter's been put in bathrooms, as I have been sold and possessed, and my daughter was born from this controlling man that even wanted to raise up my child that way. And and up and down the country, my daughter's looked at men and won't even look in the eye. And she said, Pastor, when you spoiled all these children. And, and did all these things for them, that was the first time I've ever seen her love a man and warm up to a man and put her arm around a man. She said it was one of the greatest miracles of my life. And from that day on, that girl became my best friend. Everywhere that I go, she grabbed my leg, and uh, she won't let me go. And, uh, and now her heart has been transformed, and her, her mom is in college and going forward and doing amazing things for the glory of God. Sure, the idea cost $13,870. And... But if the idea doesn't make sense, there's a good chance it might make history. And I want to tell you, God is raising up this amazing church. I tell you, I can already feel it. It's not coming. It's already here. God has raised up a church that has a reputation of going around doing good. It might look different in Santa Clarita than in Skid Row, L.A., but wherever we're at, God has called us to live our life looking up trees for tax collectors, looking around for people that are lost, finding the lepers, finding the broken, loving on others, and serving our generation and living our life addicted with the ministry of going about doing good. And everywhere I go, people say, well, Pastor, you trying to start Dream Centers everywhere? No, not even close. Don't do it. Amen. But I'm just trying to get everybody in their own unique way, in their own unique community to live their life, looking around every single day for miracles that exist and going about doing good. Maybe your ministry is to be like a Little, a little League angel. I, I go to these little, little League park by my house, and I see all these parents who think their next kid's going to be Clayton Kershaw or, or uh, Bellinger or somebody like that, you know. And I look out, and I see all these uh, parents, and, and I always watch for the kid that always misses the ball. And I'll just show up, and sometimes just from my heart, and I'll just say, God, make me the Little League angel. And I'll find out the kid that, you know, is the worst player on the team, and I'll brag on every little the good thing that he does. I'm all great. Throw in John. They're like, who is this guy? And I become like his biggest fan for an hour and a half. And by the time it's over, I was like, that's awesome foul ball, John. Everyone's looking around. Who's that guy? And I just take off and nobody ever sees me again. You know why? Because we can. We don't have to serve. We get to serve. We don't have to do good. We get to do good. And Jesus wants us to live our life. When that airplane goes off and that bell goes off and everyone's trying to rush to the front of the line, you don't you know, just get up and grab everyone's luggage and just say, can I, can I give you your luggage? Why? Because we can. Because we have been empowered with the ministry of going about doing good. Jesus is dying on the cross. He has time for the criminal. Jesus is dying on the cross. He looks down and says, John, make sure to take care of my mom. I tell you, I want to live my life like Jesus. I want to live my life in the middle of the crowds looking for one. I want to live my life speaking to the man by the pool, of Bethesda, rise. Take up your bed and walk. You can do more. We just need to live our life, not just speaking to people's need. We need to speak to their potential and call it out and live our life going around looking for ways to do good. It could be in a little league. It could be in a sporting event. It could be in a school. Because when it's all said and done, the thing that matters the most is the heart of a servant. We teach our kids and our family everything about life and how to succeed and how to go straight to the top to try to be the best. But when it's all said and done, the only thing that really matters is what's in our heart, what comes to us, and what flows through us to the world that needs it the most. So why don't you just decide that you're going to be the person that is known all around Santa Cruz? Oh, that's a person who's going around doing good. What's their name? I don't know. What's his name? I have no clue who that person is. But they live their life like Jesus with the ministry of doing good. May your faith be so indescribable that it can never be labeled. People can never define it. They can never lump into a religious category. It's just pure from the heart of God.